Please tell us why you should stay at this school. I'd read all of Jane Austen by the time I was 12, including her lesser-known work, Lady Susan, which is a severely underrated piece of feminist literature. Um, I can also debate the inherent difference between existentialism and transcendentalism, explaining why Sartre is the prominent voice of the former and the latter is barely remembered as a philosophical movement. I can also gauge the depths of Mr. Hendricks' personal despair based on his choice of Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I'm really smart. I just got unlucky in the family department. It's TV's BBS here. And Sasha Bates. And you're welcome, as ever, to the magical place where we select our favourite fictional TV characters, stick them in therapy, just to try and understand them and ourselves in a bit more detail. Sasha, who are we hearing there at the top? That was Maeve Wiley, who, as she says, was being unlucky in the family department. She's on Netflix's Sex Education, and she was talking there to her headmaster, Mr. Groff, trying to explain why she should stay in school because um, that complicated home life is something that she's been trying to manage alongside all of the school politics. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is exciting because it's our first sort of two-part shrink the box. Doubleheader. Um, a doubleheader, yeah. I, I, yeah. Think, I think it's right. I know a lot of people have been calling, listeners have been calling for the doubleheaders or, or deeper dives into shows, and I think we probably will go back into some of those ensemble shows like The Wire, Sopranos, ones we started with, the, some mm. of the big shows we started with. But I think this is a good time to do it because this is another show that sort of centers around the therapist, mm. the concept of therapy. And so as a result, it feels like there's a lot of fully rounded characters Mm, to they, dig into. They really are. And I think uh, I think we decided, didn't we, that this week we'd do sort of mainly Maeve um, and some of the more sort of female mm -hmm. issues. And then for next week, we'll talk a bit more about... The boys. The boys. Yeah. Eric and Otis. Yeah. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Now, you'd seen this show already, right? Yeah, you, I really liked and it. And you've seen all, all of the seasons? Um, no, I think the first two. First two. So I'd never, I hadn't seen one episode. Yeah, what did you um, think? Well, it was weird because, like, the first couple of episodes, I was, I felt like a voyeur. I thought, I thought, oh, I shouldn't be watching this, which is weird because obviously it's rated 18 on Netflix, but it's about 16 and 17-year-olds. Mm. But because it's 16 and 17-year-olds having sex pretty much from the jump off, I think from the opening scene of the first episode, I had a weird feeling of like, oh, I don't think I should be watching this. So I sort of... I didn't binge it or anything like that. It took like a week to watch the first two episodes. But you know who brought me in? It was Eric. Eric somehow just grabbed me by the lapels and, and dragged me into the series. I, I love that character. Amazingly played by Shuti Gatwa, the new Doctor Who, of course. Like really funny, really touching. And something about him, he became my guide. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by episode four, I was like completely hooked. On all of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but Eric Eric was my gateway for some reason. He's so authentic, isn't he? He's so mm. authentically himself. And uh, Maeve, who we're looking at today, I, I guess I initially thought, oh, okay, this is the sort of quintessential, like, troubled outsider punk girl. But actually, there's a lot more to her than that, would you say? 
Yeah, I mean, there really is. I think she's fascinating. And I thought, I think they all are because each of them is dealing with such a different sort of a home life. Um, and each of them is having to kind of negotiate the home life and their own temperaments and the politics of school. Um, and hormones. And hormones. And it's also what is really interesting, I think, about the teenage brain is that there are so many changes going on neuronally. There's, the whole structure of the brain is changing and that affects their behaviour, it affects their emotions, it affects how they relate to themselves and to each other. And ultimately, the the nature of the, the very plastic state of the brain as a teenager will go on to determine the sort of adults they're going to become. So mm. it's a really crucial time. And they are having to negotiate it with not a huge amount of help from the adults around them by the looks of this. Yeah, I mean, the adults are struggling as well. It's really sort of hit home in so many ways in that respect, having two teenage daughters as I do. I, you know, I, I found it uncomfortable and moving on on uh, different times on on mm. similar <laughs> levels because there's elements of nostalgia in there yeah. as an adult where you think back oh my god yeah i remember how stressful that time was and then there's these other elements that are very much now where it's like fuck is this what my kids are having to deal with mm. <laughs> every day so out there listening uh, if you haven't guessed already i'm, I'm sure you will know um, from the nature of this uh, this show, that there are there's going to be penises, there's going to be vaginas. It's it's going to be adult from start to finish. So um, you know, just bear that in mind, and and just keep it locked right here on Shrink the Box as we investigate issues like the importance of of peers, slut shaming, reputation, um, vagina photos, cock biting. I mean, you'd expect nothing less from your very own therapy slash TV podcast. This is Shrink the Box. All right, it's recap time for those who need a little reminder on sex education. Here's the scoop. We've got Otis Milburn, who's played by Asa Butterfield. He is this shy teenager at Moordale High School who, along with his best friend Eric, played by Shuti Gatwa, is at the fringes of social life uh, at their school. And 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 his mum, Otis's mum, is played by Gillian Anderson, and she is this esteemed sex therapist, um, often much to Otis's dismay. And when Maeve Wiley, another sort of outsider, played by Emma Mackey, who's this street-smart academic, feminist, sort of punk, uh, who's living in a caravan and struggling with cash flow. When she notices his clinical knowledge of sex and sexuality, Maeve proposes a business to Otis, providing sex therapy to the students of Mordell. Um, so that's how we sort of kick off. It's quite extreme, but, uh, you know, once you've got into the characters, you're sort of, you're on board. You're on board with this kind of crazy concept. So this week we're focusing on Maeve. Sash, uh, tell us a bit about your first impressions. Yeah, well, like you said, she is um, a bit of a punk. She looks quite frightening um, to the more conventionally dressed um, kids who all look a lot younger than her. And she is, she does seem older because she's kind of had to be. She's been parentified too early, a bit like we saw last week with Jamie in, in Top Boy. She's had to learn to be self-sufficient because even though she's 16, she lives on her own in a caravan park. Her mum is an addict. We don't really know where she she is, but she's she's absent. Her dad, I don't think she ever knew. And she's got this older brother who seems to be a real sort of wheeler and dealer, and he's not around either. So she's really on her own. And so she's had to 
become very sort of uh, entrepreneurial, which I think is why she set up the clinic, because we can see that she's got no money. She can't mm. pay the bills. She's pinching gas tanks from the underneath the caravan of, of her neighbours to be able to cook for herself. Yeah, and she's only 16, but she's yeah. really bright, as we heard in the clip at the top. A lot of kids that age tend to experience some level of isolation, even if they're surrounded by family, right? Because they're going through these changes and they're having these really deep thoughts for the first time. And emotionally, a lot of the time, they might feel that nobody else understands them. So they, they, they might experience some levels of, of isolation, maybe even profound levels, despite being surrounded by people. Maeve is actually physically on her own. And we're not 100% sure for how long. I mean, when, when her brother does appear, she says, you know, you you left without telling me and it feels like a, a couple of years. Mm. Um, I just wonder what that must be like in this small sort of confined space as well, the trailer. How do you think that might add on to the general isolation that the teenagers probably feel anyway. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it's made her very defended. I think that's why she puts on this sort of outside mask of being a bit of a cow, a bit kind of tough, a bit unneedy, because if she admits to the fact that she's lonely and isolated and, and in need, then it makes herself vulnerable. So she has to kind of really keep that that persona in place. And it's not just a persona. She has had to be that, I think. But right, I think yeah. she is, I think as we'll see as we go through it, there are several situations where you see that she isn't nearly as tough as she makes out, mm. where there is a bit of her that would really like to just be a 16-year-old who's allowed to show vulnerability and have support. And I think she is quite lonely, which is why the clinic is such a great idea, because it's a way to yeah. get close to people without actually having to get close to them. And I think it's very touching how her and Otis's relationship kind of develops as well, because they, they see each other. Yeah, well, she's highly intelligent mm. as well. That's clear. And we see her, you know, writing essays for other kids, uh, you know, um, providing that service too for, for for cash we occasionally see i think it's her english teacher who's sort of always saying you're really smart why are you wasting it kind of thing so we get that sense she's super intelligent and similarly with otis there's a lot of if not emotional intelligence there is a lot of scientific knowledge therapeutic knowledge that he's he's uh, sort of almost got via osmosis fire mm. fire his, his parents like you say they see each other and, and that's, he's almost like a little island for her, although she probably wouldn't admit it. No. I think she just calls him dickhead, doesn't she, for the first few episodes. <laughs> there's, there's an interesting moment where she meets uh, by chance at an abortion clinic a woman who is similarly individual, let's mm. say, in, in her like outward approach to life. Yeah. And it's it's interesting how they, at first, for a long time, they really clash. Mm. Because it's almost like two positive batteries. There's yeah. this like older, almost middle-aged woman who is similarly outspoken and big and bold in her, her statements and confrontational mm. in a moment where Maeve is feeling very small and is in a very quiet space. I think we've, we've got a little clip of, of that meeting here. Do you still want me to wait? She also needs someone to take her home. He looks sweet. Doesn't really seem like your type, though. He's not. A little bit of advice, Lovey. If you want a happy life, you keep the sweet ones around. Don't need a mum, thanks. 
Okay, Einstein. <laughs> yeah, which novelist and artist illustrated his own series of novels, Titus Grown, Gormenghast, and Titus Alone? Come on, I bet you know this one. Yeah, it's Mervyn Peake. Mervyn Peake, yeah. I think we'd all appreciate a bit of quiet right now. Thanks. <laughs> That was, uh, that was Maeve uh, in uh, Sex Education Series 1, Episode 3. Emma Mackey as Maeve Wiley. And uh, that was Lou Caulfield, you heard, as the older woman, Sarah, uh, created by Laurie Nunn. That particular episode was written by Sophie Goodhart, directed by Ben Taylor. Full credits at the end of this episode for all the clips that we used, as always. Now, right at the top of that clip, you can hear her sort of... Uh, dismiss Otis um, who's who's gone there to pick her up which is what she asked for but he's come thinking it's a date he's got flowers he's wearing like a musty old suit that he's dug out of somewhere um, and he looks incredibly out of place and she's almost embarrassed of him I'm, I'm not sure but th- there's definitely an awkwardness the way she sends him away yeah it's a very sweet moment really because um it is very early on in their relationship before they do know each other very well and she this is one of the first times when we see how how alone and vulnerable she really is Mm. because she's got no one to take her to have an abortion i mean it's a really terrifying frightening time for for somebody and they say oh you need somebody to pick you up and she can't think of anyone she's got literally no one she's got no friends her mum and dad have pissed off her brother's pissed off and she has to ask otis he's the only one that feels sort of unthreatening enough to be able to share this this secret with him and i think she does it i think it's from that moment where they start to see each other a bit better mm. because she she asks him because she's i think because she thinks he's so unthreatening but the way he is kind to her and he is there and he waits is the beginning of the the friendship and he stops being as frightened of her because he sees that she's she's in in need of help and that that woman Sarah that she just spoke with she says to her I don't need a mum but of course that is exactly what exactly she needs exactly what she needs it's, and what she's been missing and what she's been missing and it's really heartrending and at the end of it they do they end up holding hands and uh, she gives her her chocolate mousse and it's yeah. like this sort of little touching yeah we've been through something here and even though you're a complete stranger you've got a nice kind of like maternal energy that she doesn't she's never doesn't recognize yeah. herself and then nice little additional touch which i'm sure wasn't accidental wherein sarah gets picked up mm-hmm. by her child yeah and, yeah. and you, you just see a glimpse of like oh god it's mum being crazy again mm-hmm. you yeah. know yeah and you see a, a, a tiny split second of Maeve taking that in it's quite Quite interesting. And Sarah says a really sweet thing as well. She says, I feel much more guilty about the kids that I did have, have yeah. Yeah, or do have, than the ones that I don't. Yeah, um, which is a, a very deep statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if all teenagers, I wonder if all teenagers f- sort of act more independent than they actually are. I know we're, we're looking at Maeve, and Maeve is kind of perhaps an extreme version i mean i'm sure at every school there are kids there are a couple of kids who are living without mm. you know parental input but i wonder if all teenagers have a bit of that kind of i'm fine like mm. doing my own thing and, and and then crisis hits and it's a do i tell someone or not mm. yeah well i think it's all part of these um, structural changes to, that are going on in in the brain is that they are 
flooded with the sort of neurotransmitters and chemical messages telling them to get out the house. They need it to evolve. They need to leave home. And their physiology is telling them to go out and, you know, seek new pastures. But they don't actually have any experience as to how to do that. So they're mm. caught in this tension between their bodies and their minds are saying, right, time to break free, which is why they're so horrible to their parents. But... <laughs> um they need to then find other sources of support, which is their friends. So that's why kids, um, why teenagers' uh, social structures are so important, why peer support is so important, yeah. why how they're perceived by their friends is so important, because they are replacing the old family structure with the new peer structure, uh, which is what they need to do. They need the, it's like the boot yeah. on the bum to get that's, them out that, of the house. That's why it takes them two hours to walk home from a school that's <laughs> 10 minutes away yeah. and you know I know like my younger my older one's not like that my younger one like that's the phase 14, 15 where it takes two hours to walk home from and some parents get really stressed about it but I, I really remember mm. that yeah. period and I did exactly the same thing and I think it really feeds into what you what you're just saying you're you're trying to find your place yeah. in the world and you can't go back home straight away because you're you're toy, you're playing with this peer culture yeah. and this sort of it's not genuine independence because you do have to go home mm. but it's like how long can we stretch yeah. this moment out for absolutely it's like experimenting mm. with being alone but knowing you've got a safe space to go back to absolutely um, i don't understand her and Jackson. Why? Why does Jackson? I don't really know why they like each other. But why does Jackson mm. like Maeve? I think he's really attracted to her sort of, um, I think he's sort of tantalised by the coolness and the independence because he is not independent at all. His parents, he's got two mums and they are so Ooh. pushy and so strict and so um His, his white mum's incredibly pushy. Oh, she's awful. <laughs> the other one's like slightly a bit more, more laid back. Yeah. yeah. And he's a bit nerdy, really, in a way. Even though he's head boy, he's, he's quite preppy and he mm. doesn't do anything that isn't prescribed really so she's just a free spirit so I think I think he's really attracted by what he's not allowed to have and I think she's attracted to him for the sort of the same reasons in in reverse she hasn't got to she hasn't even got one parent pushing her on and championing mm. her and saying you can do this and we want you to be the best and and when she goes around for dinner you know she gets she's so heartbroken by hearing his mum say we're so proud of you and we love you so much and seeing the photo the happy family photos and it's so sad because she hasn't got anyone pushing her on and championing she her she actually runs away right and she yeah. has to run away she can't bear it yeah which again you know tells us why she's so defended because it's so painful to to think oh i could have that i could have a mum or mums or anybody to to love me and she she can't she can't she has to get out she can't bear it's an important moment because actually the the attraction that you're talking about that seems to work both ways for them, from that point on you realise it's quite a surface thing. Mm, you know, yes, uh, Jackson wants this kind of like cool outcast. She wants this like together guy from a happy background. Mm. But when they actually meet at, uh, in her caravan, mm. he shows her a bit more of his vulnerability, which mm. surprises her. Yeah. Um, I think the phrase they use is... Um, not so squeaky clean or not mm. so shiny and clean or yeah. something they go on to the sort of next level of of connection which yeah. is uh 
It's quite a sweet moment. I think it's quite a big thing for Maeve to understand that just because his family looks perfect, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I mean, he admits that he's, I think he's been on anti-anxiety medication since he was 11 and he feels really pressurised with responsibility of of achieving everything his mums want want him to achieve. Um, And I think he says he throws up every morning out of fear. Yeah, terrible. This is an anxious guy. um, And she... All she can see is, oh, he's got what I haven't. He's got supportive parents. But then she sees actually that comes at a cost as well. Because everything everything does come at a cost. Mm. Um, so just as her her freedom and independence and coolness comes at a cost to her because she's got no one to take to have an abortion or yeah. no one to, to support her. So neither is perfect. No, no. But, you know, the more you see some of the central parents in this sort of wide-ranging story... The more you start thinking, oh fuck, maybe maybe Maeve's got the best yeah. deal, because like poor Adam yeah, with yeah. the giant cock, um, <laughs> his dad is is horrible. His dad's the principal yeah. as yeah, well, he the head teacher. Yeah, I think the the lack of understanding between the kids and all the parents in their different ways is the reason why the clinic sort of comes into being because the kids do need to ask each other, yeah. um, and I think that's sort of Maeve's genius to to realize actually this lot don't have anyone to talk to either Mm. so actually if we can put them with with otis and they could share some of their fears which they all have because this time of being a teenager and all these changes going on it is so such a rush and a a thrill and they're 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 they're, the reward centers in their brain are completely firing on all cylinders and being flooded with dopamine but that brings a lot of fear in its wake because they don't know who they are and they don't know what to do of with all course. this energy and 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 desire to get out there. And, and the information that they're giving out as well, the, the faith that they have to have in Otis mm. is huge. I mean, yeah. one kid says, I, I fucked a melon, now it stings when I pee. <laughs> and he's got to trust that Otis is not going to share that information because yeah. as we find out very starkly, private information of a sexual nature at school is worth more than any money in terms of one-upmanship and cliques and bullying. And yeah, it's an incredible currency. I mean, Maeve, from the start, she's got this reputation. She's called Cockbiter. And there's this moment where she wants to help one of her worst bullies, this girl Ruby, who's one of Anwar's bitches, Mm. who is about to become the victim of, of, of revenge porn. And and Otis can't understand why the hell she wants to help this girl who's been bullying her for the past few years. And we, we can hear Maeve's reasoning here. I didn't take the money off Ruby. And you're right, I was freaked out about Jackson's stupid family dinner, but that's not why I'm here. Do you know how long I've been called Cockbiter? Four years. People I've never met call me Cockbiter to my face. I bit Simon Furthassel's scrote. I had sex with four guys at the same time. I fucked my second cousin. I'll give you a handjob for a fiver if you like. Do you know how it started? Simon tried to kiss me at Claire Tyler's 14th birthday. I said no. So he told everyone I'd given him a blowjob, bitten his dick. And that was it. This kind of thing sticks. And it hurts. And no one deserves to be shamed, not even Ruby. You can never stop gossip and rumour at a school. Mm. It's, it's, it's this huge, unique village where yeah. everybody has to go. I mean, how, can, how can a teenager know when to d- drop out of that or confront it or say, hey, 
that's wrong when there's so much fear of ostracism when mm. you're a kid, mm. just falling out of the popular group. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think what is sad is that I think a lot of parents don't realize how high those stakes are. They mm. just say, "Oh, for goodness sake, just just tell them or just don't don't don't, don't worry about what yeah, other people in think." In 10 years time, this yeah. is, you're going to laugh at this, but that doesn't fucking matter no. because right now it is the most important. It is their world yeah. and it does feel like life or death to not be accepted. And again, this this idea of status and where you are in in the group in evolutionary terms, you know, all that jostling, you see it in, in other species as well. You see it on sort of David Attenborough shows. Mm. When the um, the old patriarchal matriarch of the tribe starts to look a little bit, um, you know, on its last legs, all of the adolescents, they do start fighting and jostling for position. And it's baked in this need to not be ostracized because if you're on the edge of the group, you're going to, you're prey, you're yeah, going to be picked, picked off. off. Um, and actually, we sort of see that. We'll talk about this more next week, but we sort of see that with Eric when he tries to go off to the, the Hedwig and the Angry Inch concert on oh, his own sad and he gets terribly beaten up and this is what happens if you if you don't conform so it's really really important to them all right well we're gonna we're gonna dig even deeper in the second half after the break we're, we're gonna we're gonna have a look at what some of the female friendships really look like for for the girls of Mordale High. Uh, um, we'll, we'll dig a bit deeper into revenge porn, a Lady Garden version of I Am Spartacus, <laughs> and and why Maeve isn't the only one struggling. So um, stick around right where you are. Uh, we'll be back after the ads, unless you're a Take subscriber, in which case um, we'll see you here again sooner than I can throw an American football in the middle of the Welsh countryside whilst surrounded by 80s cars, 90s music and endless sunshine. Hey, it's Ben here. Shrink the Box is sponsored by BetterHelp. And most of us are very busy. We find it hard to fit an extra, well, extra anything into our day. But what if you had another hour every day? Imagine that. I'd start by working through the massive list of TV shows you guys have got me watching for Shrink. Thing is, we'd all love more time, but actually, if something's really important to us, we prioritize it and make time. A therapy can help you identify what matters to you and how you can do more of it. So if you're thinking of starting, give BetterHelp a try. I know, I use it. It's great. You get matched with a registered therapist. You can switch if it's not clicking for, for no additional charge. It's all online, and that saves you those precious minutes right? So with over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash shrink the box. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. 
I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold it. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Maeve deals with boys quite well, but when you actually look at female friendships, um, relationships, they seem quite thin on the ground. I mean, like her Mm. best friend probably is, um, what's her face? Amy. Amy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who's an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) As an absolute idiot. And like self-professed. I'm not cussing her. She's like a self-professed idiot. She's like, I don't know. I don't know anything about anything. Um, So she's clearly not Maeve's uh, intellectual equal. And then, you know, the rest of the girls that she's around are unbelievably mean to her. So is, is she... Alone there too, in yeah. terms of female camaraderie. I I think she really is, um, and I think it's so important because, as we've just said, that she needs friends and she doesn't have them. And Amy, not only is she nowhere near her sort of intellectual equal, she won't even admit to being her friend. Right? Yeah, because she's part of Anwar's. Yes, as part of the the cool kids yeah, yeah. clique, and so she has to you know like see her in private, a bit like Jackson keeping her her quiet. Mm. Um, so Maeve kind of assumes that everybody wants to keep her quiet. It's actually not true in Jackson's case but she's projecting her own shame about oh people think I'm you know really poor and live on a caravan estate and I've got no parents and she projects the shame that she feels she Mm. assumes that he will be ashamed of her but actually, you know, when Ruby, when the picture of Ruby's vagina gets sent around, as we heard in the clip, Maeve rushes to defend her because she knows what it's like. Mm. Once you lose your reputation um, or gain a reputation, you're, you're screwed, really. Um, so she shows that she is, you know, she's got these other kids' best interests at heart, even though they haven't got her best interests yeah. at their heart. Yeah. Um, although Amy does come out and say, I'm your friend in the end. She does mm-hmm. she does declare mm-hmm. herself to be friends. It's interesting the way that story sort of develops and reaches a crescendo because yeah. there's quite a big twist with it. You know, yeah. we're, we're investigating all these boys or Otis and, and Maeve are investigating all these boys and questioning them. Maeve's Maeve becomes sort of like John Luther all of a sudden, yes. like throwing boys up against <laughs> lockers. Where the hell's the phone? Where's the photo? Yeah. And they find out that it's actually Olivia, her best friend, who's leaked the photo. And we have a bloodline-esque mm. moment mm. Um, between these two besties, similar to um, the, the the brothers in, in the sea right at the end of Bloodline, where she says to Ruby, I did it because I want you to feel 
what I feel. Yeah, yeah. Wow. She's sick. I know. She's sick of Ruby always bossing her about, telling her what to say, what to do, what mm. to wear. Yeah, and she fights back. She wants her, She wants Ruby to feel what it's like yeah. to, to not be top dog. So the friendships are very unclear. The people that you think are your best friends often aren't, and the people that you think aren't Oh, I mean, the, the the person that's meant to be her friend is the one that's stabbing her in the back, and the mm. person that she's been bullying and being horrible to is the one that saves her. And they do they do build to this extraordinary crescendo where um, one of them stands up in assembly and says, "It's my vagina," and then they all in like, <laughs> "I am Spartacus, it's yeah. mine." It's, or life uh, of Brian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Brian, and so is my wife. Yeah. So I think at one point a boy stands up and yes. says, "It's my vagina." <laughs> we are continuing to look into it. I heard it's Ruby's vagina. Thank you. Ruby's got big beef curtains. <laughs> no. It's my vagina. Sit down. No, that is my vagina in the photo. No, it's my vagina. No. Thank you, Maeve. Settle down, please. You're both wrong. It's my vagina. It, it cannot be all your vaginas. I also have a vagina. Well, congratulations. Please sit down. It's my vagina. It's my vagina. Oh, enough. It's my vagina. Thank, it's thank my you. Vagina. I understand what you are all it trying to do. It is my say. vagina. You don't have a vagina. You do not have a vagina in the same way that I do not have a vagina. It's my vagina. Please, would you all just it's sit vagina. down? It's it is my required vagina. that you sit down. It's my vagina. But it shows it shows the coming together. It shows that if you let your guard down, if you say, "Look, I'm suffering here," you get you get that sense of coming together, and another, the, the, yeah. the group will support you. And and again, another huge moment of hope for a father of teenage girls. I just mm. thought, there's, God, there's some life lessons in this show. Yeah. So yeah. I, had to t- I started talking to, uh, you know, my older daughter had, had a friend around last night. So these are two 17, 18-year-olds. So I thought, you know, I have to talk to her about this show. I couldn't watch it with her. It's no, too, no just, I was going to ask that. Too, it's just too yeah. much ejaculation <laughs> and penises and, yeah, no, I, mm. and boobs. I just, I can't, I can't, oh God, no, I can't do it. But um, it was fascinating talking to her about it. She was like, yeah, we, we watch it. We find it really empowering. Do you mm. know what I mean? We, there's, there's all sorts of life lessons in there and ways to deal with things. Even though it is this sort of fantastical comedy, I think its heart is so clearly in the right yeah. place when it comes yeah. to the really serious stuff. I think so. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. this is fucking serious now. Mm. Um, and without being preachy, because it's because it's so well written and you've got that humour, like with the Spartacus moment, mm. he goes, look, imagine, imagine this. Imagine if you yeah. pulled together against a, a, a common enemy, mm. you know. Yeah. A common enemy is a, is a bully. Yeah. In this case, revenge porn, you know. Imagine if you all pulled together, everyone was on the same page, mm that loses all its power yeah. right there in that moment that yeah. that antagonist it's it, it's so it's so true and i think what is interesting as well although obviously bullying and revenge porn isn't a purely um sort of female problem in Not this case all, no. it is and or a teenage problem or a teenage way. problem no adults of do course this shit. fucking grown do. adults with supposedly mature brains i know do this it's shit. it's 
language. Disgraceful. But <laughs> it anyway. is disgraceful. But what I think is interesting is that they do make it um, quite female tastic in in that um, Otis doesn't get it. Maeve has to say to him, "Oh, you're such a boy. You don't get it," because he can't see it from his perspective. He doesn't know how important it is to have you know, your reputation intact in, in whatever reputation means nowadays. It's yeah. not the same as it has in different decades. But, and as we've already talked about, um, Maeve knows what's that, what that's like. Yeah, and within um, that world, there is a male privilege, yeah, definitely. absolutely, definitely. yeah. Boys, when, and definitely not, I'm not saying they don't suffer, but they're definitely not going to suffer that kind way. of bullying on the same level. No, just, I mean... Adam, it's just fact. It is, it's, it's true. And Adam gets his dick out in the middle of the yeah. school assembly, um, the school dining room and shows it to everybody. Mm. And he doesn't get anywhere near the sort of... Um, no, his life c- continues. He wins an award. Yeah. Not for his dick. <laughs> which is so huge that you can see it from behind. Yeah. Um, in case you want to catch up on that episode. We'll do the credits for all uh, genitalia at the end of the show. <laughs> So d- does the teenage brain need to mature for them to be able to to reach this moment of 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 clarity of understanding that togetherness that openness uh, uh honesty is to as far as you can without making yourself vulnerable can help create a support mm. network for you. I mean, well, some people, as you've said, some people never get never there. So, that, right? so maturity is possibly not the right mm. um, word because we can see how Maeve at sixteen gets this, and um, you know, many people of fifty or sixty don't. But what? Um, is happening is that this huge process of pruning the old neurons that aren't, are no longer needed and strengthening, I think it's called myelination, um, strengthening the new neurons. So people get a bit more set in their ways. And where you focus your attention, those neuronal pathways get stronger. So actually, that's why being a teenager is so important, because the more you focus and the more you kind of reflect on what you're doing, you're strengthening those pathways so you get better able to do it. So if you never strengthen them, then you never get any sort of awareness or, mm. or reflective abilities. And I think, again, that's why the clinic is so important because they are, Otis is encouraging them to think about their behaviour and they're learning about themselves. And the more they do that, the more they're strengthening those neuronal pathways of insight and awareness so that they can then learn from experience. If you don't strengthen them, you're never going to learn from experience. You're going to keep t- making the same mistakes. Yeah, and and ironically, of course, Otis himself is really struggling to yeah. make those connections, as, as we'll see and, and mm. dig into in part two of this very special Shrink the Box. So by the end of, of, of series one, what, what do we feel that, that Maeve has learned? And like, has, has she progressed, mm. you know, from, from where we first meet her? Yeah, I think she's realised, she's seen through the sort of myth of perfection that everyone else, just because they've got two parents and a home that's not a caravan um, and no money worries, that they haven't got it made, that it's not really easy for them. She's seen that through Jackson, I think. I think she's been able to show some vulnerability to Otis. She let him see where she lived. She that extrapolated out to letting Jackson see where she lived eventually. So she's showing that she isn't just a tough nut, that nothing hurts me. So she's revealing more and they are revealing more in in turn. So I think they are learning more about themselves and learning more about each other. And 
she's able to finally have a friend. I mean, Otis is a really good friend by the end. And she's allowing herself to think, oh, could he be more? I mean, she hangs onto the jumper that she lends him and she keeps it under her pillow. It's very sweet, actually, and she sort of sniffs it occasionally. Mm. And I think even before she realises what's happening, she's sort of using him as a comfort blanket and hug- yeah. hugging the jumper to her. And she's realising, I can't do it alone. It was quite metaphorical that you need somebody to take you home, that the abortion clinic said. Because she does, she needs somebody to be there with her and he is fulfilling that function and they are getting closer because of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it is lovely to see that that sort of growth. And again, it sort of feeds into the whole vibe of the show, which I find incredibly hopeful. It, it seems to be an underlying thing for those of us who are over 18, um, just like you and I, Sash, <laughs> that says, look, don't give up on these guys, man. They're yeah. fucking great people. Yeah. They're potentially amazing people. Yeah if you support them and, and, and give them space yeah. to, to, to grow crucially and give, give them their privacy when they need it yeah. and ask, ask the difficult questions when they need that too. Yeah. You know, and allow and just, them to learn from their mistakes as well. Absolutely. Because um, it's not, you know, it's not just Otis that Maeve's getting closer to. She's now got Amy openly being her friend. Ruby doesn't hate her as much. Ruby now has a reason to be grateful to her. So, yeah, she's gather- she is gathering in the tribe mm. a little bit. Yeah. Genius concept for a yeah, show, really. really. I mean, I remember when I worked briefly on, on The Inbetweeners and um, I was saying a similar thing to the, to the writers of that, like this, you, you, you know, you got a golden, golden egg here. And they said, well, yeah, like who hasn't been to school? Yes. <laughs> you know, and yeah. Like, yeah, good point. Like everybody can relate in some terms. And then similarly with sex, if even if you've never had it, you're mm. thinking about it. Mm. So, I mean, putting those two things together is, is kind of genius. Uh, yeah. Two things we've all, all dealt with at some stage in some very profound way. Mm. Great show. And we will dig even deeper next week uh, and before you leave us um thank you as always for your emails keep sending in your suggestions your thoughts to shrink the box at sonymusic.com um jason's been in touch this week uh, and he says hi ben and sash i've listened to your pod from the beginning can't tell you how enjoyable and fascinating the episodes are uh, i work as a mental health nurse and i've always been fascinated by and believe a great deal of compassion can be achieved by recognizing how individuals are shaped by their environments and history I've encouraged a few other mental health professional colleagues to listen as well, who now are also well and truly hooked. That's good. That's mm, good, isn't it? We're getting that, a lot more yeah. professionals. Uh, I, I do like that. Yeah. And he, the amount of times he uses the word fascinating in that first <laughs> paragraph, I can tell he's listening to the show because I think that's probably the word I used <laughs> most in the first three episodes. But the um, human mind is fascinating. Relationships well, are fascinating. Absolutely. So absolutely. he's spot on. Uh, as is osmosis. Um, the, the suggestion, Jason continues, that I have is uh, my favourite fictional character of all time and a giant of modern culture uh, despite his many obvious flaws and vulnerabilities there's so much that is almost innocent and pure in many ways to aspire to and that man is Homer Simpson (laughs) (laughs) and I feel it would be a worthy testament to his legend to have him drop by for a session on your couch keep up the fab work Jason we have talked about Homer Simpson oh I would love to do Homer (laughs) Homer Homer Simpson he's the greatest guy in history from the town of Springfield, he's about to hit a chestnut tree. <laughs> um, do Very follow good. us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your pods um, to get new episodes. Share the love. Tell your friends. 
help us make more and more eps. Uh, if you want to listen to us without the ads, just subscribe to Extra Takes. You know the deal. You get the ad-free episodes from the UK's flagship film show, Kermode and Mayo's Take, uh, and access to all their exclusive additional bits and pieces. You can have a free trial if you click Try Free at the top of our show page on Apple Podcasts or visit extratakes.com. Thanks to our production team, uh, Lily Hambly on production management. Assistant producer is Marnie Woodmead. Social media is Jonathan Imieri. Studio engineer is Matthias Torres-Sole. And the mix engineer is John Scott. Producers for this episode are Michael Dale. And senior producer is Selena Reem. Exec producer, Simon Poole. And Shrink the Box is a Sony Music Entertainment production. Now, Sasha. Um, we've already sort of teased it. Um, this is a two-parter, so it's not a huge reveal, but who are we going to dig into next time? Well, I think we should look more closely at the boys, Otis, Eric and Adam, and their different concerns. Ah, okay, so we're going to look at Adam too. Well, all right. Cool, I mean, cool. I think so he, all the boys. he could all be in, he could be in, in the mix because they all have very different concerns about the kind of man they want to be and the different mm. role models, for good and ill, that each of them has in their very different fathers. Um mm. So let's have a listen. I'm sorry, dude. This, this thing came up with, with, with Maeve in the it's clinic. Not, you are what so happened? self-centered. You don't care about anyone but yourself. That That's not fair. Eric, why are you so angry? Because we've been friends since we were nine years old and you've abandoned me for someone that you've known for five seconds. You've changed. Manly old Otis would never do that. I rang your mum to pick me up because this is where I felt safe. I think I made a mistake. Oh, rare moment there where the best mates fall out. I know that people often cite Eric as their favourite character, just like me, um, but Adam also, as we touched upon briefly, has a lot going on, um, and his character arc is crazy. Maybe he has the biggest journey, I don't know. Mm, well, I think they all do. I think he, Adam starts from a very sad, difficult place because he's got this really awful, strict, uncaring father who's also the headmaster. So he's got like the double whammy mm -hmm. of him at home and, and at school. And he is so rigid, refuses to show any vulnerability. And and that's what Adam is up against. So he's mm. got a long way to go, um, as, as we see. Um, and then we've got Eric, who's also got a disapproving father. But his father does show some ability to to show vulnerability, to change, to yeah, listen. So. Um, so he's very different. And then Otis's dad, who I'm looking forward to talking to, who is yeah. um, also a therapist, also a sex therapist. I can't wait to hear your absent. take on the two therapists <laughs> in this show because, wow. Yeah. Um, well, well we're, yeah. we're going to find out Thera very soon, aren't Therapists we? are people too. They are. <laughs> therapists are people too with their own genitalia. Yeah. Well, uh, only to, some to, of them. <laughs> <laughs> to be used at will, yeah. as we'll find out next week. Um, all right, enough of that, Sash. We'll, we'll dig in again uh, very soon. Great to see you. Uh, see you then. Bye. Ta-da. All right, time now for the sex education credits, as promised, for Series 1, created by Laurie Nunn. At the top where we heard Maeve fighting to save her place at Moordale, that was Episode 8, starring Emma Mackey as Maeve Wiley and Alastair Petrie as Mr. Groff, written by Laurie Nunn and directed by Kate Heron. Maeve explaining why no one deserved to be shamed was Episode 4, written by Laura Neal and Laurie Nunn, directed by Ben Taylor. The Spartacus moment and Otis and Eric arguing at the end of both Episode 5, written by Bisha K. Ali, 
Sophie Goodhart, Laura Hunter, and Laurie Nunn, and it was directed by Kate Heron. Sex Education was made by Eleven and distributed by Netflix. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.